The losing streak has hit four for the first time since the 2007 season. The Michigan State basketball team is now 2-7 and seven in Big Ten play for the first time in more than three decades. And the Spartans' NCAA tournament hopes while they're waning with each passing day. Not even Matt Ishbia's money will be enough to save the Spartans. Is there any hope? We will discuss on episode 21 of Live Spartan Confidential Podcast. Brandon Champion along with Kyle Austin and Matt Wenzel here on Thursday, February 4th, 2021. Uh, Kyle, did you make your donation to the athletic department yet? Uh, I have not uh, donated to that. Um, I have, uh, believe it or not, found some better causes than my alma mater's athletic department to uh, <laughs> to uh, donate to. Uh, I don't think that'll be high on my list. But, you know, each his own. If you make uh, $10 billion or whatever it is that Matt Ishby has made, you certainly welcome to spend it. <laughs> what, so, what, what, about you, what about you, Matt? You've got the same name as Moneybags, Matt Ishby. You, you've, uh, even, uh, you've even got an extra T. So you got your checkbook ready? <laughs> Yeah, no. Um, again, repeating what Kyle said, I, you know, when you got $10 billion, I don't blame you for throwing 30 uh, to at, the, at, at an athletic department. But um, one, I don't have quite that much money. And two, uh, even if I did, I don't know, I, even if I did, I, I probably wouldn't invest in college athletics. I'd give it to charities. That's just me, but, wow. Um, Incredibly I, noble. Well, I think we both know you would give your money to uh, Michigan State Athletics. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'd be trying <laughs> to find a way to get, uh, you know, all the five stars in. That'd be one of those shady boosters in the background, probably. <laughs> uh, yeah. Unfortunately, I have no money, so I can't <laughs> I can't help out there or, or do anything to contribute to the cause. But uh, we'll touch on Matt Ishbia's record-setting $32 million donation to the athletic department. Uh, on today's episode, we'll also discuss, as I said, Michigan State's uh, fledgling NCAA tournament chances after two losses to Ohio State and Iowa. We also had National Signing Day come and go, and it was pretty eventful for Michigan State uh, on a number of fronts, so we'll touch on that as well. If you could please like, rate, and review the podcast, it would be uh, very, very helpful uh, for us and for uh, everyone else who listens or who would like to listen. You can also follow our, all our coverage on the Spartans page on MLive.com. Uh, we're all over everything. I think we already posted a few stories today about the donation and uh, where Michigan State's tournament hopes stand. Um, but we'll discuss some of that here today as well. We appreciate you for listening, and we'll also get to some of your questions. So uh, thanks for tuning in here today. But Kyle, let's let's jump into it. Michigan State, uh, a couple more losses uh, on the on the resume. Uh, you know, both of these to good teams. I think we saw some improvement from Michigan State. You know, in, in the two games back since Rutgers, but uh, still not enough to get a, get a win. And uh, March Madness is looking pretty slim at this point. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's bad luck for them because I thought they did play a little bit better in each game, actually a lot better um, on Tuesday. Uh, but they got progressively better um, after that record game coming off the break. The problem was they were playing a little bit better team every time and they were on the road the whole time. So, um, uh, you know, can't Ohio State working that close, but I did think it was better than Rutgers. But the way they played it at, on Tuesday at Iowa, they, they were going to beat most teams. Um, that they play with that, that type of shooting. Uh, I thought a lot of things were better. I thought a lot of guys got going, but you play in Iowa on the road. And I think just at the end of the day, this isn't a team that has beaten a lot of high level teams and closed out a lot of really close games. And I think every team to a certain extent kind of has to learn how to do that. Um, you know, and 
Uh, Joshua Langford can't hit the late shot. He's obviously an experienced guy, but I think he was pretty gassed by the end of that, so he can't get that to fall. And um, yeah, you mentioned the NCAA tournament, eight and seven with 11 games left. I mean, you know, normally I'd look at around 20 wins, you know, I I use that as a number. I I think, I mean, teams are playing fewer games this year. So, I mean, if you win like eight of 11, gosh, it just sounds so unlikely that to even talk about, but then you get to 16 and then I think you're in the conversation, but uh, man, even the way that they played and getting better, I mean, in, in this Big Ten, and that's if you get every game. I mean, it, it's such a tall task. The, the, the phrase I've been using in my stories is it, it, the streak is on life support. You know, mm-hmm. it's, I, I don't like to rule anything out. Uh, they could get going. They'll have, hopefully, the Big Ten tournament to get a couple games in, too. But, uh, boy, I have a really hard time seeing it happen at this point. You say life support. It's funny you say that because I, I, you know, typed up my notes for the podcast here and I saved it as Michigan State's NCAA tournament hopes on life support. So mm-hmm. we're, we're thinking along the same line there. But yeah, I mean, you look at the remaining schedule, you know, they have Nebraska and Penn State on the schedule, but they have Iowa. They have two games versus Michigan uh, at Purdue, at Indiana versus Ohio State at Maryland. I mean, I, I had people tell me that I was being premature and writing their death sentence on Twitter and talking about how depressing it's going to be when selection Sunday rolls around and we don't see which, you know, scary mid-major Michigan state's playing in the first round. And people are telling me it's too early. Like we can win eight games. I'm like, where are the wins coming from when you look at that schedule based on what we've seen from this team so far? Uh, It's hard to say that they're, you know, going to be the clear cut favorite in really any of the games other than Nebraska and Penn state, probably maybe Maryland, I guess, but it's not looking good. I could see him winning a couple, feeling good, um, you know, because Nebraska and Penn State are the next two, both at home. Um, but then, yeah, Iowa at Purdue at Indiana, Ohio State. Um, and then, you know, the other thing that's going to complicate it is they've got more games that they've got to um, squeeze in there. So, mm-hmm. you know, you got one Michigan game on the schedule. You might play Michigan, boom, boom, back to back in that final weekend, needing needing a couple wins. I mean, that's a tall task. You're going to get Illinois thrown in there somewhere. Um, that could be next week, actually, because I think Illinois, Michigan just canceled during a, during a window. They could play Michigan State. But you could end up with a back-to-back. You could end up with three games in five days, um, something like that. Um, so that's just going to make it tougher. So it, um, it, if they do do it, it will be among the most impressive things I've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, that's the best way I can put it. Um, yeah. I mean, you look at the Iowa game. Let's let's jump back into that real quick. Because I mean, Ohio State was a few days ago. I, I was sitting there trying to, you know, get takeaways for the Ohio State game, and I couldn't really find too many because it was kind of like, yeah, they played better, but Ohio State just kept pulling away. Yeah, let's talk more about the Iowa game because, uh, you know, if you look at it, you can say, yeah, Michigan State played better, but – you know, they get a great game from Aaron Henry in, in 38 minutes, 24 points, um, five assists, nine rebounds. Josh Langford chips in 15. You get a three-pointer from Foster Lawyer. Uh, Rocket Watts looked more comfortable offensively, and you still lose. So, I mean, do, do you look at that as a positive, or, I mean, should we be concerned? Because they had to do a lot of things right to win that game, and they did a lot of them, and they still didn't. Or should we just chalk this up to Iowa's an elite offensive team? it's probably both. I mean, there is good to take out of it because we talked to players today and, and they seemed a lot more confident coming out of that. You know, Joey Howard and some of these guys, I mean, they said, look, they lost, but they played with Iowa for 40 minutes and they had a game tying jumper with 30 seconds left that, you know, Josh Langford's going to make that shot a lot of times. So I'm not sure this team, 
had really had a lot of reason to believe that they could play with Iowa going into that. I mean, every team's going to go on their thinking, but we didn't have any proof that they could go toe to toe with a team like Iowa. And, and now they do. And, and for players uh, that have been through everything they have been, I mean, that's, um, that's meaningful for them. But, you know, again, my biggest takeaway, I think we talked about this on the pod last time. I, I've been talking about Joey Howard and Rocker Watts a lot um, this year, He's guys that I think they really need more out of to win. And they were both better. But, um, you know, you mentioned the other guys, Aaron Henry, giving you about everything you can. Joshua Langford, I feel like that's about as much as you can ask for out of Joshua Langford right now. Um, so to really get to the next level, I still feel like there's more that they can get out of Rocket Watts. And we saw glimpses of it. You know, we started that Iowa game with that, that step back three-pointer. And, and at that moment, I'm like, all right, there's Rocket Watts. I haven't seen that dude in a long time. There he is. And he was better. Not quite there. Maybe he can build off of it. Joey Hauser, same thing. Hit some threes. Foul trouble uh, was big for him. Um, so, it, yeah, it was it was encouraging. And, and if guys, if those two guys can kind of keep build off that and go on that trajectory, then then I like what they can probably go from here. Yeah, that step back three in uh, Luca Garza's face was nice. Mm-hmm. You, you could see those glimpses of that confident, swagalicious offensive player <laughs> that we saw at times last year. That was encouraging to see. And I, I think maybe that's what we need to look for, you know, with these slim tournament hopes is looking for little things that they can build on for the future. They obviously have a great recruiting class coming in next year. And, uh, yeah, just just watching, you know, what we can take into next season. Um, I mean, I'm sure the players aren't thinking like that. They still think they have a chance. But from a fan standpoint, from a, maybe from a beat re- reporter standpoint, what kind of things are you looking for in these games? Yeah, um, looking for um yeah guys to get better guys to get a little more confidence you know um uh you know i would have told you before last week that i was looking for to see how much point guard aj hogard could play and and now that that doesn't seem to be happening anymore they seem to be going away from that so i think they'll probably be resetting hitting reset on the point guard situation for next year but um you know can joey howser figure it out um um, can some of these younger guys, can Mati Sissoko get on the court um, and start to get some minutes? I mean, you're not going to just start focusing on development because they're not clearly there yet. But I think that's that's something you want to see. Is, is there reason to believe that this is a one-year dip um, and um, and they're going to be back at it next year? I mean, that, that would be one of the biggest things I, I want to. Because you're right. I mean, the, the streak is very important. But, um, you know, just getting to the tournament and losing in the first round as a 12 seed, I mean, is that, you know. That is, that is what it is. I mean, it, w- it would be better than the alternative, but, you know, this is not a team that's going to the Final Four, so let, let's start looking big picture, too. Foster Lawyer, so speaking of the point guard situation, you know, Lawyer played 18 minutes. Um, I thought he looked decent uh, against Iowa. It seems like maybe they're even turning to him for more minutes at the point guard spot at this point. I mean, the, the problem is he's probably the most naturally um, – he's probably the most natural point guard on the team at this point. Like he plays with the most confidence. You can tell he knows what's going on and what to do and he can shoot. He's probably their best peer shooter. Um, So from a pure point guard standpoint, he might be your best bet. The problem is he's so limited on defense and he's so limited in matchups at times uh, that you can't really play him with those minutes, you know? I mean, but it seems like Tom would like Foster lawyer to potentially take on more of those point guard minutes. (laughs) 
You can't see, but Brandon just picked up a cat <laughs> in, the, in the middle of that. Uh, kudos, kudos for not, not sounding. I'm like over that. here coughing. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to get my cat out of the screen. I can barely talk. Like, what is going on here? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, Foster Lawyer, um, you know, after Sunday, um, they put uh, they put Rocket Watts back at point guard. It didn't help them at all. Didn't help Rocket. Didn't help the offense at all. Um, although they got decent shots in that game. Um and I asked Tom about it afterwards, and he was pretty much at a loss, like, like more so than I can remember him with a coaching decision, just being like, I don't know what to do. Um, and they end up going back to Foster Lawyer, and, and I think it's – they don't have any good options right now. They're all bad options as far as the point guard goes, but I think it's the best bad option. Uh, um, he's a shooting threat. I mean, obviously not a high scorer, but when you had um, some of those perimeter lineups they got out there, there's there no shooting, uh, three-point mm-hmm. shoot. I think that just that just clogged things up so much. So he's a shooting threat. Um, I think he's gotten better taking care of the ball. His turnovers. He's not making the mistakes. He is what he is on defense. He's going to need some help. That's obviously the big drawback. But um, I think he's given them enough that he's the best option right now. And, and it's going to be incumbent on on some other guys to to step up and and maybe provide some more of that offense. But uh, I I liked it more than what I've seen in recent games, but it'll probably keep changing again. We'll probably keep spinning the point guard wheel here and seeing where it lands. Every game. Looking at some of the more hard numbers against Isle. I mean, 40% field goal uh, percentage, 41% from three. I mean, that's better than we've seen all year. Iowa shot 50% from the floor. I mean, this basketball team from an offensive standpoint, just incredible. Michigan state out rebounds, Iowa 42, 38. That's good to see 16 assists from Michigan state. Uh, only eight turnovers. I mean, they played a really pretty solid game, better than we've seen them play in a long time. One big topic of conversation on Twitter, of course, was the free throw shooting uh, and the way that the refs officiated the game, particularly with Luca Garza down low. I mean, you breathe on the guy and they're calling a dang penalty or a foul on him. Michigan State was in foul trouble the whole game. 35 free throws compared to just 15 for Michigan State. Um, I saw some real, real touchy stuff. Uh, I mean, you get like Bingham down there is just getting bodied or you'll get like a real physical play or AJ Holgard went to the rim that one time and they, uh, they, or maybe that was against Ohio state, but against, uh, Iowa, uh, you, you know, there was, uh, a lot of calls on Luca Garza. I, I hate being the blame the refs guy, but it was pretty bad. I thought against Iowa. And then you also had, we also had a question here sort of related to it, you know, not a huge deal because of the mediocre result, but like, uh, when the ball got wedged against the backboard, and then Iowa knocked it down and scored. I always thought the neck balls or the wedgies or whatever you want to call it, isn't that supposed to be a blown whistle? Did you see that when it just got stuck and they kept playing? I did. I'd have to look back to see if it – I didn't see if somebody knocked it out or if it came out on its own. I thought live that it came out on its own. I, I, yeah, I, I saw it. I, I was thinking the same thing, but it looked like it got stuck and immediately dislodged itself. I mean, it was there, but not like – one of those ones that gets jammed there that results in jump yeah, ball. But and I, I, I have to read the rule book on whether but yeah, I, I don't know if there's, quickly. T- if there's a time frame. I also swear yeah. I thought I saw one where an Iowa shot hit off the rim, went up really high and hit the top of the backboard. It did. And they let and they let him play on and score a basket off of that. Like there were there were a couple things that it's like, wait, I, did I just see what I saw? One of the uh, key baskets, Jack Nungy was driving in the lane against Hauser towards the end of the game, and his off arm is every single time giving him the four on shiver. You could see Izzo on the sideline saying the same thing. Listen, I'm not blaming the refs guy, but Izzo or, or Iowa was getting a lot of calls in this game. No, and and 
it's a bad game. I mean, Tom Izzo also had some some pretty significant issues um, afterwards with the refs. It, it was a bad night for Michigan State to have a crew calling it like that. Let's say that because um, if, if you're going to call a lot of touch fouls, if you're going to call um, make whistles for every contact, and you're playing against Luca Garza, <laughs> um, there's going to be a lot of calls. And Michigan State. Michigan State doesn't have the personnel to be able to do it on the other end because usually you'd say, okay, you're going to call it tight? Fine. We're going to send our big dude against you, bang around, draw a bunch of followers too, and do the same thing. But Xavier Tillman ain't walking in that door. You know, Draymond Green ain't walking in that door. So they, they don't have um, – there were certainly some issues with the followers, but, the, but Michigan State also didn't have the, the personnel to do the same thing on the other end. I think that was part of the issue. Uh, yeah, I mean, Tom Izzo, just reading from your story here, uh, he said, quote, I thought there were some ridiculous calls, Izzo said. I don't say that very often, but I'm just going to say it. Uh, Izzo said he thought the officials allowed Hawkeyes star center Luca Garza to bulldoze down long, call plenty of other contact. They just jump into you, drive into you, follow you, follow you, and then every time you touch the big guy, there was a foul, Izzo said, and I didn't appreciate that. <laughs> that is the most tongue-in-cheek, like, Izzo wants to blow a gasket, but he's trying not to get, you know, fined or suspended <laughs> quote I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he uh, he was interesting on um, after the game. He, he said that, and um, he said something that I guess to segue a little bit, uh, something that we've talked about, I think, on the pod, and I think that people who watch closely have been suspecting, which is that he kind of admitted that he's had the kid gloves on uh, with this team. Um, And that's his term. He actually used that term, which is that he's not coaching this team the way that he normally does because, because of COVID and because these guys are not seeing their families. They're, you know, they're isolated. They're being tested every day, which I think is more harder on guys than you would think if you're not going through it has been my impression. Um, And uh, you know, is a coach that, you know, we all know he succeeds by getting on guys and challenging them and making them mad and sometimes breaking them down and building them back up. And, and that's how he does it. And that doesn't work this year. Um, I think he, he's, he knows enough, you know, I think he's um, evolved enough in his thinking about mental health and things like that to know that I can't be that guy this year. So, you know, on top of all the other challenges, I think you've got Tom Izzo trying to coach in a different way than he, he normally coaches in a different way that he is best. And, um, you know, I think that's been difficult for him. And, and he talked, he brought it up cause he said, he's kind of starting to finally say, okay, I'm going to start going back. I'm, I'm taking the gloves off. We're going to be a little bit more normal here. Uh, might be too little too late. Um, but, but I think that's been something that, um, is probably a bigger deal to this season. Um, than we know just not being in there. I think that, that's been something that's probably held them back a pretty significant amount. Mm-hmm. And we see a lot of these top programs across America, you know, struggling in this COVID season. And, you know, I, I don't know if you can draw like a, um, a straight line as to why Kentucky and Duke and Kansas and Michigan State and others are, are struggling this season. I mean, maybe you can point to they don't have their electric home court advantages. Um, maybe you just pointed to that these programs are tried and true. They have a specific way about doing things, the way they go about things. And it's like a well-oiled machine. And as soon as you take that flow out of things, uh, maybe it's affecting them more than other schools. It's just really interesting that in this COVID season, we're seeing some of the biggest powers across college basketball struggle. You know, I was watching, uh, I think it was Tennessee, Kansas the other day, um, and they were talking about this on the broadcast, and they, they did this graphic 
Um, and their point was about the youth, which I think there's a lot to it. Um, Cause you've got, you know, obviously Duke and Kentucky have gone the one and done route. And this is a year, I think more than ever that veteran experience is worth a lot more than young talent. Um, and I, so I think that's been the case for Duke um, and Kentucky, uh, Kansas is, was better. They're sliding a little bit, uh, but they had Michigan state in there. And I'm looking at, it, I said, you know, Michigan state's not really young. Um, I don't really think they fit into that bucket uh, because yeah, they lost two key guys. They've only got one senior in Joshua Langford, but they've got, I think it's six or seven scholarship juniors. I mean, that's, that's more experience than a lot of college basketball programs these days. So, you know, something I wrote about something I think we talked about is, you know, that junior class, I think um, Michigan state needs to get more out of them. You know, that that's five guys who have been in the program for a long time, a big recruiting class. They're all, has all stayed um, with the program, has all stayed together. Um, and, you know, there's a point guard in that class, and Michigan State needs a point guard right now, and it's not happening. You know, there's a, a four-star center in that class, you know, who, who hasn't really taken over the center the center role. You know, Aaron Henry's really the only guy you, out of that group you can see who's really kind of stepped up and done his job. So, um, you know, you, you look at, I think, that group, five-man class was kind of recruited to be the nucleus for the post-Cassius Winston era. And they just haven't really been able to develop and get to that level. And guys, you know, you could say some of those guys maybe weren't the right fit. Maybe some of them haven't developed, but for whatever reason, that should be a group that you're leaning on right now uh, to maybe not win a big 10 title, but at least be better than this. And I don't think they're getting what they need out of them right now. Well, we've seen progress the last two games, I would say. I mean, I, we were probably a little bit unrealistic to think that Michigan State was going to be able to come back from a 20 day layoff, jump into a road game against a, a Rutgers team that's desperate in their own right and think that they're going to be able to jump back into playing better. They looked more like a competent basketball team against Iowa. That's for sure. And against Ohio state, Ohio state, tough team, tough matchup for them. I think they just weren't ever day. We didn't really talk about that game very much, but they weren't just ever really able to, to really close the gap and compete in that one. The Iowa game. uh, I think we saw some glimpses of a basketball team that can beat good teams. Um, And maybe that provides a small glimmer of hope as we, as we move into February here in the stretch run and Michigan state tries to keep that 22 year streak alive. Uh, next game Saturday, right? Uh, at home versus Nebraska. Nebraska, yes. And Nebraska is not playing a long time due to COVID, but Tommy Zosin said, I think 95% today, he thinks it's going to happen. So hopefully, hopefully it happens. And that's an absolute must win for Michigan State. If they lose that game, right. uh, the season's over. That's, that's just how it is. So we'll see what happens. But let's transition uh, into some football news, and then we'll get into the quickly the Matt Ishbia stuff. Um, but, Matt, we'll, we'll bring you in here. Uh, we had the, regu- the National Signing Day, uh, the, the traditional signing day, uh, just passed by this week. A uh, couple, couple interesting developments on the Michigan State front. Uh, started out with heartbreak. Oak Park four-star uh, lineman Rayshon Benny flips back to Michigan, uh, pretty, which is something that was sort of rumored and debated uh, for several months, ended up being the case. Uh, it was a tough scene on Twitter <laughs> after that happened across the state. Um, but then we got good news later on from a Michigan State standpoint. Uh, Keon Coleman, who's a guy we've talked about multiple times on the pod, uh, two-sport recruit from Louisiana, ends up committing to Michigan State. And that was sort of like a Tom Izzo, Mel Tucker team-up job to get that done. So uh, what was kind of your uh, takeaways from how uh, regular signing day played out? Uh, you know, another day where I got to wake up way earlier than I'd like to. So (laughs) if we just went back to the one signing day, that'd be fine with me. Uh, They can just change letters of intent can start being sent at like 10am. That would be a little more convenient. But um, 
No, I mean, the Benny thing, uh, you know, he was quoted on Monday. He, he said, he told the Detroit News, I'm looking forward to signing. And then you start to hear all this stuff uh, on Tuesday. And yeah, I mean, it's, this is recruiting. I mean, this is just part of the deal. Um, you know, and I really think, you know, if, if you have a guy who is committed and doesn't sign in the early period in December, is he really committed? I, I mean, you know, it, it, you, you can question that all you want. And then that, you know, proved to be the case this time. He had a chance to sign. He didn't. And he, you know, signs with Michigan. So, um, you know, good luck to him. And then, you know, with Keon Coleman, that was a hard one to read because, you know, the, the two sport thing, I didn't really know how that would work at Michigan State. You know, obviously they must have been receptive to it as far as Tom Izzo must have been receptive to it for them to even stay in the recruitment. Um, but it was hard to get a read on him. I think yesterday, right at the last minute, all of the, the local recruiting experts down there were all picking him to go to Tulane, and he picks Michigan State. So, um, yeah, it's interesting, you know. I mean, you've, you know, we've, we've talked about this. Uh, me and Kyle were talking about this yesterday. I mean, you've, it's been almost 15 years since you've had a guy play both sports, both football and basketball at Michigan State. Um, and there have been others that have come along. Kari Willis had Division One basketball offers like Keon Coleman does. And he wanted to, you know, give it a shot. And he, that never happened. But he wasn't – he was never as adamant as Keon is. Is like, I'm going, you know, with this being goal. He just always thought that would be a possibility. But uh, – so it is hard. It, you know, there are overlaps in the schedules, and they'll have to work through that. But Adam Berghorst is on the football and baseball team. There, there are conflicts there, and, and they're making that work. So, uh, interesting. Um, and, you know, so Michigan State loses their second-highest-rated player in the class, and they replace it with the second-highest-rated player in the class. It's the other side of the ball, a little, Matt, little lighter. They didn't. He didn't commit to Michigan State University. He committed to the University of Michigan State. So I. That's that's where I, they're kids. I give them a pass on that stuff. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I don't care what he said. I'm just glad he's in the green and white. Uh, Kyle, did did you just talk to Tom? Is it? Did he say anything about Coleman and his uh, potential uh, potentially having a spot on the basketball team? Yeah, uh, he brought up, he said, I'll have a spot if he wants it. Um, and, you know, Tom has always been, you know, open to that sort of thing. He's had several, it, it's been a while. Um, and, you know, he said that's because, you know, there's so much more individual work you have to do now in the off season. And it's like every, each sport is kind of a year round endeavor for these guys. So it's been, been almost 15 years. Deanne Coleman, 2007, uh, I think was the last guy to do it. So, um, you know, obviously... Dan Curry, yes, thank yep. you. Um, C, C last name. Yeah, um, <laughs> I couldn't remember. But, either. <laughs> um, so I mean, obviously he's going to be football first. So I think I think the I got I got the sense that the the attitude is kind of let him go through his 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 freshman football season, get a sense of what that's all about, and you know if he wants to um, wants to do basketball after that um, when that starts up, then then there'll be a spot for him uh, and and what he can contribute. You know, I don't know. He'll be a walk-on. Um, he'll, he'll be a guy playing football and, and have it there. So um, I, I'm not sure we should expect a double-digit score there. Um, but, um, you know, it'll be, it'll be fun to see if it does happen because it's not something that happens a lot these days. So it'll be fun either way. Yeah, I mean, Pierre Brooks, Jaden Akins, Max Christie all coming in next year. Uh, and then we'll see what happens with the other two. Um, there, there's another guy. I can't remember what his name is, but he could possibly potentially come next year. We'll see. Um, but – but uh uh, it'll be interesting to watch. I mean, uh, I, I was excited to get this kid. He seems like a dynamic athlete on the outside, and, and Michigan State needs those guys. So, is he is he listed as an athlete, Matt? They don't know which no, side of the ball, or is he? Receiver? No, he's a he's a re- he's a receiver. Okay, so he's listed as he played, a receiver. He, he was a defensive back also in high school, but he is recruited as a receiver. 
So okay. that he is the only receiver they got in this class. Well, that's good, right? In Louisiana, that's we don't see that. They have had five all-time Lettermans from Louisiana, and it has been since the 1970s since they had a player, a Letterman from the state. So that shows I, – I made the – well, I was making the joke the other day about Alabama, Michigan State having the same number of Lettermen all-time from Alabama as Denmark, but a um, few more from Louisiana. <laughs> it's just been a while. But, but Tucker's staff has ties there. You know, uh, Jay Johnson was a uh, work down there. Uh, William Peager work, Piegler worked there. Uh, Corday Hankton, he's a grad assistant. He's a New Orleans native who coached in the state. So, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna expand it into places that you haven't been recruiting in the past, uh, you need some connections, and, and they have them. Do you know how influential Tom Izzo was in actually recruiting Coleman, Kyle? Yeah, I mean, they talked all the way going back to last summer, um, and Izzo said they talked regularly. He said the kid like called him a lot. <laughs> Apparently, had no had no qualms about uh, dialing up or texting Tom Izzo on the phone and um, and chatting with him. So uh, good good for him. But um, yeah, I mean, I I think just I mean, hearing from a Hall of Fame coach and letting it be very much known that you have a spot here, I, I'm sure meant a lot to him. And um, and I think Tom can say, we've done this before. We're not just saying it like, you know, Matt Trannon, um, I'm sure there's other guys before that, that you might know that I don't, but um, it, it, it's something that he's been willing to do. So I, I'm sure that was meaningful. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if he does end up uh, playing two sports, but uh, obviously a good gift for Michigan state uh, tough loss with Rayshon Benny. He seemed like a guy who was uh, bound for the green and white would have been a big get uh, at a position of need. Um so he's going to Michigan. We'll see him on the other side now. Uh, but Michigan State fans, one thing, don't tweet at recruits. Just don't do it. It's just he's a 17-year-old kid. He can d- decide what he wants to do with his future. Uh, don't – that is the worst. I mean, I'm sure you guys feel the same way. Just don't be that person. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, Matt, Matt is restraining himself right now. Yeah, well, it just looks – it just makes it look – it makes it look bad for future recruits. It, it doesn't help anyone doesn't help the program, I, I, doesn't help yourself. You just look like an idiot. I, I would just say try to remember what it's like to be that age, you know, uh, because you're 30 or whatever you are. I mean, I, I, think, I think we're all a little bit detached from that. But, you know, you remember what it's like to be 16 and 17. It's like these guys change their mind. And you know what? How many coaches, you know, take commitments and then leave jobs? I mean, commitments are what they are. I mean, Matt, you brought it up. It's like mm-hmm. nothing said until somebody signs. Um, mm-hmm. so I, I don't blame a kid all, at all for, for me. No. Um, right. And you certainly shouldn't tweet at him. So. Yeah. Well, and when I say don't tweet at him, if you want to tweet, congrats on your signing, congrats on your commitment. What can't wait to have you. Okay. Whatever. That's fine. I'm talking about negative stuff, ripping on the kid for making a decision about their own future. That's what I'm talking about. So just a little sidebar there. Uh, obviously it'll be interesting to track, but, uh, let's move on to, to the final thing we're going to talk about here today, and that's uh, former walk-on Matt Ishbia, who is now a billionaire, uh, sending $32 million to Michigan State's athletic departments. This news broke this morning. Uh, new football building, Tom Izzo Court among the, the contributions. But uh, what was your reaction when you saw this, Kyle? Um, I mean, not surprising. I mean, he's a guy that um... – has been, uh, you know, incredibly uh, supportive of uh, of Michigan State athletics over the years. He employs a lot of former Michigan State players at the um, at his company, including Mateen Cleaves, a couple other of his teammates from the 2000 team, and then 
um, you know, his, I kept seeing his name come up in Google alerts because they had this, um, his company went public and I think he's worth 10, $12 billion, something like that, depending on his share price. So he recently, he recently came into some money, um, as the, um, as the saying goes. So, so the, the idea that he would, he would give a pretty decent chunk of that back to Michigan state is, is not surprising. I, I guess and I was just surprised that it stuck out to me at first that most of it was the football, but then you think about it, that kind of makes sense. Michigan state just redid the Breslin center, got a huge addition onto there. Um, I'm sure they could find a way to spend some more money and they will, but I think football, um, you know, I, I think they're more have more immediate ways to spend it. So it's a basketball player given, I think 20 of the 32 goes to, to football. Maybe Matt can talk about how, um, how they're going to spend that, but I think there's more, more, more ways to spend that, I guess, with football. Yeah. Um, so the release says that it is 20 million. So it is for the Scandalers football building, um, improving the football auditorium, expanding the weight room, creating new player lockers and formal meeting spaces, recovery, modalities, I don't pronounce that word, I'm an idiot, <laughs> consistent with the country's best programs, dining and nutrition area to give Mel Tucker the resources to compete for championships. So, um, you know, they've been, you know, innovative with like, you know, the different weekly uniform schemes. So if you see one this fall that is just, you know, if Matt Ishbia's picture is on the side of everybody's helmet, don't be too surprised. I mean, $20 million is, that's a lot of money. And, you know, they just, they just spent like 6 million, I think is is what it was about 6 million um, doing an upgrade to the football building um, that was just finished this fall. So it's a never ending arms race. um, And uh, and obviously 20 million um, will be a help for Michigan state and Mel Tucker. And and they should be, uh, and I'm sure they are very thankful. We'll just have to await uh, the very dramatic uh, word from whether the board of trustees will approve Ishbia's request to uh, to name the court F and the uh, new renovation at uh, the football building for Izzo. Yeah, I'm sure that'll be a real tough vote. If you drop drop thirty two million, I mean, you could they could probably you could probably get the the school named after him by now. But I will say we we talked to Tom Izzo and we're going to hear more about this tomorrow. But um, that was incredibly meaningful for him. He was even getting a little emotional talking about having the court named after him. Um, so it was kind of a, kind of a little footnote in the, um, in the press release. But um, I, I think whenever the day comes that they put his name on that court, that's something that's going to be uh, incredibly meaningful for him. So he seemed receptive to it. Cause I was wondering, you know, he's such a humble guy at times. He doesn't mm-hmm. like the spotlight on him. He always gives credit to his kids. Um, and other people. So I, I was wondering if he was going to be like, we don't need to do that. But uh, you think that is actually going to happen? Yeah. I mean, it's, um, you know, it, it, it's weird how it's worded. It's like he made a request along with it. So I don't, I mean, I'm not sure he said like, Hey, this check, this check will only clear if I see Tom Izzo's name on that. It says it on the little I'm line at the bottom <laughs> yeah, for Tom Izzo court. <laughs> for Tom Izzo court. But um, no, and, and honestly, I mean, that's probably something that was going to happen anyway at some point, um, you know, given everything he did. I mean, I, th- I feel like that's pretty common you see around college basketball. Uh, I know at Syracuse, it's Bayheim court and a couple other places, their longtime legendary coaches have it. So it would have probably happened eventually. Um, and uh, maybe just give him a little kick to, to make it happen. It is just my guess and assumption that there's probably something, some rule within the university that any building or anything on campus that takes on somebody's name needs to be approved first. Because um, yeah. if you remember back to the fall, there was a, a an issue with that. Two things. We hang, instead of Ishbia's number 11, we hang 
Ishbia in the banners with 32 and six zeros after it, right? <laughs> we just hang his number in the rafters, says 32 million. And second part, when it becomes Tom Izzo court, we just put Tom Izzo's face with the Spartan helmet on in the middle of the court. What do you think about those ideas? <laughs> Go for that. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. I, um, I, I hadn't realized this. Apparently, um, the, apparently Tom put Ishbia in at the end of the national championship game in, yeah. in the- and he was the last player to touch the the ball that season, and, and I think he even made a, took a shot and missed it at the end. Yep. So his always joke was, you know, if he makes that shot, you know, maybe he goes into hoops, and you know, we're out thirty two million right now, so everyone <laughs> be happy that uh, that that shot didn't land. But so, like, you know, I, I actually just tweeted that same thing today. And when you talk about, you know, uh, one thing I found noteworthy is he said he wanted an additional $2 million. We'll go to create the Spartan for Life Fund to help athletes with empowerment, employment opportunities after graduation. Um, you know, Spartan for Life, that's something the program they talk about quite a bit, especially in basketball. Tom Izzo wants to create this family atmosphere, and we see it. We saw Draymond Green's donation. We see guys coming back. We see, you know, Miles Bridges constantly tweeting about Michigan State still. They have this family atmosphere. Um, and I found it really interesting that Matt Ishby is a guy, he averaged less than a point a game in his seasons at Michigan State. I mean, he hardly played. Um, and And yet – his time spent on the basketball team, you mentioned how he got to play in the national championship. You know, Izzo just, I think he started a game on senior night. Um, when you just, when you do those little things, um, you know, obviously you don't know that they're going to come back with a million dollars, a $32 million donation, but I think it just goes to show part of what Tom Izzo has working in that program. And that's that he truly deeply cares about all of his players and his players, no matter how significant a role they had on the team, truly care about him and his program. I mean, it just speaks volumes that a guy would come back and do something like this, I think. No, it does. And, you know, obviously he didn't, he didn't play a lot, but it's been, it's been incredibly, uh, he talked about all the time. He wrote a book a couple of years ago and we got a copy of it, man. I think you gave it to me. Um, he wrote a whole book yeah. about how much time it so, um, meant to him. So it's, and, and there's guys who just talk about, you know, you, you learn that kind of mentality and that leadership in the program and it, um, and, and it serves them later in life, you know, whether you're leading a business or, um, or whatnot. So, um, yeah, it's important. And, and I like the, the, the fund of Spartans for life because, you know, a lot of these athletes, they're so into their sport, you know, when they're on campus, not that they don't get prepared, but I'm not sure that they really think about what they're going to do afterwards a lot. So any, any help that they can get kind of making that transition, the guys who aren't going to go be NBA all-stars to, to getting into it. I mean, I mentioned Ishbia's, you know, I know he employs some of those guys. I know the team he's been to his company and kind of walked through and talked to him about business. You know, I think that's a good thing um, for them to do. Something we don't talk about a lot, but I think that'll probably help a lot of guys and look good. Um, Okay. Well, I think that pretty much covers it. Um, is there anything else you guys wanted to touch on before we signed off here today? I I need to get off here clearly and get a cough drop. So uh, <laughs> anything else on the docket? No, I think that's it. I'll let you go get your cough drop. <laughs> All right. Well, we appreciate you guys being here. Uh, we appreciate your, your questions there, listeners. If you want to keep sending those, we didn't get to all of them today. Um, but if you want to keep sending those in, we'll definitely need some uh, content to fill the gaps here when we wait for football to come back. And, you know, if Michigan State basketball keeps going the way they are, it's not really going to even be worth talking about what's going on in the court too much outside of maybe some player development and whatnot. But uh, we appreciate you listening here for di- here today. Uh, again, please rate and review the podcast if you can. Check out our work on MLive.com uh, on the Michigan State page. We appreciate you very much for listening. Michigan State, next in action on Saturday against Nebraska. 
we will be watching, and I'm sure you will too. But until next time, for Matt Wenzel, Kyle Austin, Moneybags Matt Ishbia, I'm Brandon Champion. Thanks for listening, and go green.